0: You are listening to the V Back Link podcast. This is episode number forty-nine. Today we are talking with our friend Jessica from Virginia, and she had some qu- a quick unmedicated V back after two weeks of some serious prodromal labor. After she shares her story with us, we are going to give you a little bit some more tips on how to manage padrama labor and how to also know the signs and how to tell if it is prodromal or real labor. And something kind of fun about Jessica is that she actually found us by searching VBack on Apple Podcasts, which we're super excited about and we're so glad that she did. So something that really helps people find us is when we get reviews like this one that Julie's going to share right now. Yay, we
1: love those reviews. It makes it so much easier for people to find us. I mean, let Apple Podcasts know that we're bringing you content that you love. So this review of the week is from Apple Podcasts, and it is from Griffith 6 And she says, not only is this so empowering and informational for women hoping and prepping to be back, but it is a must-listen podcast for first-time moms and doulas, There's a wealth of information to be learned from hearing all these women's experiences. I can't emphasize enough how great this resource has been in helping me gain the confidence I have needed in the last few weeks of pregnancy. I just wish I'd started listening to it earlier in my pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And Griffette6, thank you. That was such a great review. We are glad that this is bringing you some good juju as you get ready to be back. And... We know that it brought Jessica
0: some good juju as well. (laughs) Yes, and here she is going to be sharing our story just after our awesome intro.
2: You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC-specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan.
0: All right, Jessica, we are so excited to have you on today. We can't wait to hear your journey of this unmedicated VBAC that happened so quickly after a long period of prodromal labor. So if you wouldn't mind, we'll turn the time over to you and share, to share your story. Yeah,
3: I'm so excited to be on here. I just love you guys. I've listened to mm-hmm. every love you episode. So, <laughs> yeah. So um, okay, I'll just start with my first pregnancy, my first birth. So my husband and I got pregnant fairly quickly. We actually, I'd like to say we were not not trying. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it and I was only 26, so I was pretty young. We had just gotten married, and we were like, oh, you know, it takes a while, and it didn't take a while for us. <laughs> So I kind of went in very naive in general, just about birth. Um, I had seen my sister give birth. She gave birth to three kids, all natural. Just that's what my, you know, thought of birth was. So I had a very easy pregnancy. I had no morning sickness. I lived in Virginia Beach at the time, and I went to a practice that had eight delivering OBs. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. So when I went there, you know, they told me their their policy was that I had to meet every single OB just so that when I got to the hospital for my birth, I wouldn't be blindsided by the OB that was there. Mm-hmm. And then another one of their policies was they don't induce until 42 weeks. So I was like, okay, that's great, you know, thinking I'm not going to go to 42 weeks. So. <laughs> I should note, like, during that pregnancy, I literally ate whatever I wanted and did no activity. So I kind of think that contributed to the the C-section. But anyway, fast forward to birth. At 36 weeks, I went to the doctor, and I got my GBS test. And she was like, okay, well, while I'm here, I'll just check to see if you have any dilation, whatever. And she checked me, and I, I feel like I was one centimeter and some you know, some percent effacement and she said, Oh, that's great progress that you're already one centimeter. And I was like, okay, great. And so the next time I went at 37 weeks, I had another doctor who wanted to check me too. So she checked me and she said she didn't think the baby was head down Hmm. anymore. Mind you, he had been head down since 22 weeks or something like that. Um, I also know that, and I should say that because the ultrasound tech at the doctor's office was doing her certification for some special measurements. So she was giving me like three sonograms. So I saw him probably, I don't know, five or six different times, which is cool for a first time mom, you know?
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. So then, so that was 37 weeks. So then they scheduled me for a sonogram at 38 weeks and he was head down and they checked me again, <laughs> the, this doctor checked me again, and I was about three centimeters and 80% of feet. so I was making all this great progress. And then at my 40-week appointment, I saw this doctor for the first time, and she was like, okay, well, if you're not in labor by next week, then we, since you've been three centimeters for two weeks now, we'll induce you. And I was like, okay, sounds great, whatever, didn't know any better. So a week goes by, and I did all the things to try to get him to come out, and I see another doctor, and this doctor checked me again. So now at this point, this is my fifth cervical check. And she says, oh, you're four centimeters. We don't have to do cervidil, but you need to go in at 7 a.m. tomorrow for an induction. It was a Thursday, and she was like, we don't do inductions on the weekend, so I want you to go on Friday. And I was I didn't even think about it at the time, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I was like, oh, of course you don't do inductions on the weekend, because why would you want to be there if you didn't have to?
0: Do. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Exactly.
3: <laughs> so, so I went in Friday morning uh, around 7 a.m. I got hooked up to everything. I was also GBS positive, so I had to get antibiotics. So 7 a.m. hooked up, and then... I mean, I'm progressing all day. It's not fast by any means, but, you know, I had come in at four. So around, I want to say 5 p.m., my water broke on its own, which is great, but they had been upping the Pitocin the whole time. And as soon as my water broke, the pain was just so intense. I mean, I remember just all I could see was like a tunnel vision. And... Of course, we my family lived 4 hours away and my husband and I are from the same hometown, so they all came down for the birth because we knew when he would be born and they were all in my room.
1: Oh my so gosh.
3: There was, there was like 10 people. <laughs> hmm. So it was really not a zen moment for me and I decided to get the epidural and one thing that I look back on and I wish I had done is me and my husband would have had a code word because all I said was I need the epidural and immediately I got the ep- he immediately went and told them I needed it. Mm. Um, so they came in and they said, well, the anesthesiologist is in surgery right now, so you'll have to wait. It was around like five or six p.m. So around nine, <laughs> the anesthesiologist came in. And I got my epidural, and so after that, I could only be in the bed. And prior to that, I was up and walking around, but once my water broke, I felt like I couldn't move. I was in so much pain from, like, the Pitocin contractions, and they were on top of each other.
2: Mm. And they just
3: kept upping it and upping it because I wasn't progressing the way they wanted me to. So, yeah. Sorry, Um, that's just frustrating. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a night and day from my VBAC, so I know so much better now. But Mm -hmm. around, I want to say, 2 a.m., they checked me because I started to feel a lot of pressure. And they checked me, and the nurse said I was 10 centimeters. And she was like, the baby's still really high up, but maybe we can push him down just a little bit. And so she calls the doctor and the doctor says, yeah, go ahead, start pushing I'll be there in a little bit. I think she was either in another birth or a C-section at the time. So I pushed for two, two and a half hours and there was very, very little progress. He wasn't coming down. He had three different D cells down to 60 and it took him a very long time to recover. Yeah. So the doctor comes in two hours later after I've been pushing for two hours and she checks me and she says, Actually you're only about a nine um, and you have a pretty oh, yes. legitimate cervical whip. Oh,
0: and she was like, swollen and I from pushing.
3: Yep, exactly. And she said "I." C- she was like, normally I would be able to get my hand up there to kind of see what's going on, like to where his head is, or, you know, maybe he's in a bad position, whatever but I can't. You're so swollen.
2: Mm. She was like,
3: and I don't think he's going to come out that way. I think we need to talk about a C-section. And honestly, at that point, I had been in labor for almost 24 hours, and I was just ready. I was so tired. And, you know, we thought we were meeting our baby the day before, and I was just so ready. I didn't even know anything about a C-section. And I'm in so much pain, even with the epidural. It was just, I was trying not to use the button. <laughs> so finally, they just kind of taught me off and took me back. And he was born at 5.50. Um, that is
1: exactly what time my C-section baby was born. Exactly. Oh God, 5.50, right before dinner yeah. time. Anyways. <laughs> my, yeah, Go listen to episode three yeah. if you want to hear me. I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> <laughs>
3: so after that... I mean, it was okay. I was in the hospital for a couple days, but my one of my good friends was my nurse, so it was actually great, because she really hooked me up when I went home, and I think that was Saturday morning, and I went home Monday morning, so I was only in the hospital for like 48 hours, and I got home, and I healed pretty quickly, I would say. I mean, I felt like by four weeks, I was pretty back to normal, which it was quick for in my brain for a C section, I guess. I, I know differently for a vaginal delivery now, but I felt good, but I couldn't. Breastfeeding was awful. It was a terrible journey for me and him.
1: Mm. He
3: never latched. I couldn't sit upright because my scar hurt all the time. And then when I went back to my six week appointment, my doctor was like, oh, well, in hindsight, you have a very small pelvis. Oh. So I don't know that you'll ever be able to birth vaginally, and he was st- stuck in your left side. So he was asymptomatic. Little... Mm-hmm. Um, his head was tilted.
0: Left. Yep. Yeah.
3: So anyway, I knew when she told me I had a small pelvis. I was like, there are people half my size that deliver babies twice as big as mine. Yep. Like, and he was only seven seven,
1: and he was a week. He was ten days late. Wow, that's not that big for for a a ten day pasture due date beat like forty one and a half weeks, yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean I did one thing I forgot to mention was um at Christmas time, so like four months before he was born, I had a pretty bad stomach flu mm-hmm. and so I don't know if that kinda contributed to it, but yeah, he was only seven seven when he was born. I mean he was twenty one inches, but still he was not huge by any means. So after that I was like Oh, sorry, I did want to say at that 38-week ultrasound I had, they told me he was going to be nine pounds. Oh, and my gosh. <laughs> he was born seven, seven. I was like, you guys, are that's terrible. I'm never listening to an ultrasound again. So, mm. <laughs> anyway, I ended up with him just exclusively pumping for eight months because the breastfeeding journey was terrible for me. And after that, I kind of started realizing that, I needed more education before we decided to have another child. (laughs) And um, so I started researching literally like the week I got home, just kind of what my options were and, you know, what I could do in the meantime before we decided we wanted to have another kid. So fast forward two years, we moved to Northern Virginia. Well, I would say it's Western Northern Virginia. We're right on the line. And I moved to a fairly small town but it's closer to big cities. So I get, you know, I'm involved in ICANN. My husband and I decided that we wanted to try for a second baby. We again got pregnant right away, which, you know, very blessed for that. And I started researching immediately. And I actually started researching for a doula prior to the O B. <laughs> so I Good. was looking for a club, <laughs> yeah, before I even picked an OB. And I found one and her name also happened to be Jessica and she was just. I interviewed a couple, but I asked her this question, and I hope everybody who's going for a VBAC at, and wants a doula asks their doula this. I said, "Do you think that VBAC moms need to be treated differently than regular than first time moms?" And she said, "Absolutely yes." And I said, "Well, why do you think that?" I was very surprised to hear that. I was expecting her to say no, you know. I was going to say high five to your doula. (laughs) And she said, because you are always going to have the voice in the back of your head that says you can't do it. And I'm there to tame that voice. And I was just like, okay, we're meant to be. You're a lovely person. So I got her recommendation. She's actually lived where we moved to for a while and she's had a lot of births. She's actually had about 13 VBAC births now. So I asked for her recommendation for an OB and I personally was not comfortable with a home birth and I knew I wanted an OB in the event that there was a uterine rupture. I know how small that percentage risk is, but again, I did my research for two years and that's just what I was comfortable with for me. And so we start, I went to this OB and I explained what had happened and he told me, oh, your VBAC chances are great. You're a perfect candidate you got to the pushing stage. He was like, because there's stuff we can do. If, mm-hmm. you know, the same thing happens again, we can move you around and whatever. He was very supportive. In the beginning, my pregnancy with my daughter was rough. For the first six weeks. 16 weeks, I was really sick. I couldn't eat. I had no appetite, and I was just nauseous all day. But after that, it was a pretty smooth pregnancy, no issues, nothing crazy. I was working out. I sat on that darn yoga (laughs) ball from like 28 weeks forward. I never like got off of it. I work from home. So I sat on it all day, which was just great. I got the red raspberry leaf tea. I mean, I did all of it. Went to the chiropractor. I definitely attribute my VBAC to him. But anyway, so at my first appointment with my provider, he did a pelvis check. That's what he called it. He wanted to check my birth canal. And I think it's because I had mentioned to him that the previous provider said it was too small. And he checked and he said, no, I think you're fine. You know, I can't guarantee 100%, but he said, I I, I think you're fine. I don't know how he could tell that now that I did more research, but whatever. So, but at least he said uh,
1: you're fine. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. that's a that, lot better than most. Yeah. <laughs> I just it's
3: just kind of funny cuz you know, they just kind of do a little check in there and after doing the research, I found that it's a lot more intricate than that. It's not just like a quick check up in the, your cervix to see if it's big enough, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but anyway, so that pregnancy I passed all my tests. I wasn't G B S positive, which I was so thankful for because one thing I forgot to mention in my first is because I was GBS positive and I was induced, I had a round of penicillin every four hours. So I had six bags of penicillin. Mm. Yeah, I trying to make a joke but I, I felt like I could my blood could cure, you know, an army in a third world country. Because <laughs> so potent of penicillin but anyway so I got to 36 weeks and I had been having like a little bit of cramping and I had lost some of my mucus plug which I had never had any of this with my first so I was very excited to see these signs that I had never seen so at 36 weeks I was like okay well he's doing the GBS test so I'm just going to have him check me anyway and he checked me and I was like one centimeter and 25 percent of face and I was like Okay, whatever. I'm not gonna have you mm-hmm. check me again. So then, let's see. At 38 weeks, I lost a like a much bigger portion of my mucus plug, and I had again tons of cramping, and I was having contractions, and they weren't regular, but they were they were and they weren't super strong, but they were there. And so I was telling my provider this, and he was like, "Well, let me check you again just to see if there's been any progress." There hadn't. I was still one centimeter and 50% of face, and I was having all this stuff happen, and I was, like, very defeated, and I think I actually posted on your guys' face on the Facebook group at this point because he said something to me where he was like, well, you know, I think that your birth canal is a little narrow, I was like, uh, what? Mm. You just told me previously in the pregnancy, that it was fine, and now you're telling me that it's a narrow. And so I was really upset, and I talked to my doula, and I had posted on the Facebook group, and everybody was kind of just like, well, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. I mean, when labor happens, your hips expand, your pelvis expands, and all this stuff. So I felt a little better about that. But then I had to meet... (laughs) The, that his backup doctor, oh, I should have said that, that this provider, it was only him. So I saw him every appointment and the only, except for the one where I had to meet his backup doctor.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So I met his backup doctor and I hated him. He was terrible. I walked in and he said, I told him that I had been researching VBACs and he was like, oh, don't read into all that Jeff, because you might just be one of those women who needs c section. Oh, you might just be oh. one of
1: those women. Uh, oh, oh, I hate uh-huh. that so bad. <laughs> I know it was
3: awful. And then when I said I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to go med med-free. He laughed, and he said, eh, wrong answer. You have 18 what? years for this kid to make your life miserable. Why would you do that to yourself? You this 18, is, this oh is my, my provider's That's backup awful. doctor. That's awful. Who the heck did you just send me to? Yeah. I was livid. So I went back to my provider, and I said, absolutely not. That man cannot be in my birthing space. You have to be there. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, I will be there. He was like, as long as I'm not out of town, I will be there. He said, but your best bet would be to go to have your back would go would be to go before your due date, so that you don't have a big baby. Huh. And in my brain, I kind of was like, you know, my first was seven, seven, right? At, you know, 10 days post, like, I don't think I have a big baby, but okay. So anyway, he told me he would be there as long as he was in town. And okay so once i hit 40 weeks <laughs> oh i should say i did i kept getting cervical checks because at that point i just needed to know um mm-hmm. i was i had prodromal labor for two weeks so and what would happen is i would have consistent contractions every three to five minutes and then they'd go to eight to ten and then back to three to five and that would happen every day almost for two weeks but they never got more intense. I could walk through them, I could talk through them, I could I could do anything. It was just they were there. And it wasn't Braxton Hicks because they were definitely more cramping than they were tightening. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that kind of sucked. <laughs> I thought every day was the day, and I was so excited, and it just wasn't the day <laughs> again. And, you know, this time we have our first, and luckily our family is a lot closer than four hours to where we live here, but it was still... I wasn't trying to get anybody's hopes up, but I was also like, I've never been through this before. Is this it? Um, So that's why I had him keep checking me because I kept thinking that I would be this far progressed or whatever. And at 40 weeks, I was only like two centimeters. So Mm. (laughs) that takes me to 40 weeks. And I talked to my doctor and he was like, well, now that you're past your due date, I think the best thing to do is just to go on your own. I don't want to have to induce you. He was like, I will, but I don't want to. I was like, okay, so what can I do? And he, you know, told me all the regular things, have sex, nipple stimulation, do this, do that. And I said, okay, but how about the castor oil? Like, what do you think does that work? (laughs) And he was like, I mean, he was like, I'm just going to say this again, that I would rather you go on your own than me have to induce you. And so I took that as, (laughs) <laughs> would be okay if I tried it. Mm-hmm. So I was in this Facebook group and they kind of talked about this midwives brew, which was like almond butter. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. Almond butter, oil, like nectarine juice or apricot juice, something like that. And tea, um, lemon verbena tea.
2: Hmm.
3: So I made that. <laughs> this So my 40 week appointment was on a Monday. I made that concoction on a Tuesday I drank it I didn't have too many bad side effects contractions definitely got worse but they then spaced back out Mm. Um, (laughs) so it was terrible but then Wednesday morning I woke up oh I should mention too that I had him do a cervical sweep at 40 weeks because at this point in my brain I said you know these are the limited amount of interventions that I could take Heck and yeah,
1: padromal yeah. had labor sucks. I, was, I had it with my fourth. It was exactly. so bad.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, right? Is I was like thinking every day was a day and then it wasn't. And I was mm-hmm. just like, okay, I, I need something to give. And, and I had this conversation with my doula at 36 weeks and she was like, you know, there's synthetic interventions and then there's interventions that you don't really want, but they're better than the synthetic form. And I I was like, you're right. So that was one of the things that I agreed to was a membrane sweep if I got to 40 weeks. So, And I feel like it worked because on Wednesday morning, so, yeah, Wednesday morning at 4 a.m., I woke up in so much pain, and I went to the bathroom. Well, I laid there for an hour, and I was like, okay, let me time these. And they were every five minutes. I mean, on the dot, like every four to five minutes. And they were a little more intense than they had been. But I went to the bathroom and I had bl- like blood. I mean, it was a it was my bloody show. Mm-hmm. But I did not know that like clots came out with your bloody show. <laughs> Sorry Ooh. if that's a little graphic, but <laughs> trust were, like- me, not graphic. <laughs> <laughs> and there was just like stuff I had never seen. I mean, I never had any of this with my first, and I was just like, holy crap! And I'm like texting my doula. I'm like, incoming picture warning. Like here, look at what I just saw this morning. And she um, was like, this is great. So that's at 4 a.m. And all day I had contractions, four to five minutes, and then they would go to 8 to 10, just like they had been the last two weeks. So (laughs) I was just in this limbo, this labor limbo. And they got more intense than they were from before, but during the day they never got more intense. Mm -hmm. They ended up spacing out further. So that night, that Wednesday night, I called my sister who's watching our our son, and I was like, can you just come over? Because I feel like something's blocking me from having this labor going. Like, I think I'm just not in the safe space. I'm worried about who's going to watch our kid, like, when the time's going to happen, if I need to take him to daycare, if I don't. Like, I'm just, I'm very, you know unsure of what's going on. So she came over and at eleven thirty that night I w- tried to get some sleep and I woke up at eleven thirty and I was in pain. I was like, oh wow, these are a lot more intense. And so my husband was still sleeping and we weren't getting a lot of sleep the last two weeks, as I'm sure you guys can imagine. Yep. <laughs> So I let him sleep a little bit longer, and then at 3 o'clock, I woke him up, and I was like, we have to go. Like, I can't – I'm I'm afraid, and I want to make it to the hospital in time. Okay, and mind you, the hospital is only five minutes away. So <laughs> we would have made it no matter what. But like, <laughs> you could have walked oh, there. Exactly. <laughs> and I was talking to my doula, and she was like, Jess, you know, I really think something's blocking you. Like, I think you – I think if we get to the hospital, you'll feel a little safer. And I was like, I think you're right. So we get there, it's 4 a.m., and there have been like five other women in our small, rinky-dink little town that have come before me. So there's literally six of us at the hospital at 4 o'clock in the morning. Oh my goodness. Like waiting to be admitted. <laughs> So I get there, I get up, and my doula was like, they're going to admit you because even if you're still only four centimeters, you're a V-back and you're overdue. So they are going to admit you. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay. So we get up there, and it's the doctor I hate on call. Oh. Oh, no. no. <laughs> so, oh. I'm like, what did I do? I should have waited. So I get up there, and... I had gone to the bathroom when I got there and my doula and my husband were in the, in the room and they were talking to the nurses and the nurses were like, Oh no, her doctor comes in at seven. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is perfect. Like this is lining up perfectly. Right. So then they checked me and I'm only four centimeters and like 75% of And I'm like, okay. Uh, something's got to give. So he comes in, my, my doctor comes in at 9:30, and he checks me again. And I was only five centimeters and uh, about 80% of age. So it had been like four hours and I wasn't really, they said it, That he said it too. And I, I knew when I heard it that I know how labor goes different for every woman, but he was like, it's been four hours and you've only gone a centimeter and like 10%. He was like, so I'm I'm just thinking maybe we should break your water. He was like, I can feel your water right there. You know, I just think it'll help feed things up. And this is, again, one of those interventions that my doula and I talked about. And at this point, I had been in this labor for two and a half weeks and this a little bit more intense early labor for 24-plus hours. And I was like, I cannot, like, this cannot last another 24 hours. I won't make it. I knew that I needed to get it done, basically. So I just agreed. I was very scared because, like I said, with my first, when my water broke, the pain intensified so bad. So I was very scared. But honestly, he broke my water at 9.45, and I got, like, a long break. My contractions stalled for 45 minutes. They were just, like, every eight minutes or something. So I ended up being able to sleep. For that 45 minutes. Your body Uh, needed a break. Yeah. And I was so thankful for that. Because Mm -hmm. uh, then um, 1030 hit. And it was like a freight train. My contractions, they went from 8 minutes apart to 5 to 3 to about 1 minute apart. In a span of 15 minutes. Wow. So I had 1 minute apart contractions. For a long time and then this is kind of funny but um my doula convinced me to get on the toilet she was like this is the best place to leave it is I <laughs> we say that when the i tell time. my clients that they
0: look at me like what and i'm like and i want you to sit on it backwards they're yeah. like what
3: <laughs> yeah. i wish i could have sat on it backwards but the, t- the way they have the toilet set up first of all i'm only five foot two So, the toilets are way too tall at this hospital for me. So, I have, like, a stool down there. Mm -hmm. But then, also, it's right up next to the wall. So, the toilet paper, like, dispenser is, like, gouging me in my knee while I'm trying to labor on the toilet. But I'm so glad I got on the toilet because I told her that I felt like I either needed to go to the bathroom or the baby was coming out. And she was like, you probably have to go to the bathroom. She was like, they just checked you. Like, you're not you're probably not, you know, that close. So let's just sit on the toilet and, you know, figure it out. So I sat on the toilet, and I I hate to say this, and I can't believe I'm saying this on a public forum, but <laughs> I had this like, exorcism of my bowels. And I don't know if it was the casting wheel or if it was just birth and this happens to a lot of people and they just don't talk about it, but I was on the toilet and I had to go to the bathroom so bad. It, was, it felt like probably 30 minutes straight of just... Every contraction, I would go to the bathroom. And it was uh, it was painful, but it was relieving at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that happened. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, I can't sit on this toilet anymore. And it's like 1.15. My doula convinces me. Well, first of all, she really had to convince me to get to the toilet. So I don't know how she convinced me to get back in the bed because I was not – I didn't want to move, but I – got halfway to the bed and I sat on the ball. <laughs> so I sat on the ball for a little while and I was like, okay, I got to be in the bed now like I can't support myself anymore and at this point is when I knew it was transition because in my brain I was doing the thing where I was like I can't do it anymore or I need an epidural and I never said it out loud. But thankfully because of this podcast, I knew <laughs> that I that then I was in transition because I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I've heard so many other women say that. That's exactly when they just, they were doing it. Yep. So that's what my doula was doing. She was like, you're doing it. You're doing it. Like, you're okay. And I never – I don't think I ever said out loud that I needed the epidural, which really was exciting for me because I gave in so quick with my first. So then – Okay, so then it's one fifteen. So at one thirty, my doctor came back in and checked me again, and I was. He said you're seven to eight centimeters and a hundred percent face and baby's at zero station. And he Yay. said, yeah. And he said I'm moderately optimistic that you're going to have this baby vaginally now. And
1: <laughs> moderately optimistic.
3: <laughs> and my doula was like, okay, kind um, of a compliment. <laughs> He was like, How about we're positively optimistic and it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was just like, I'll say moderately. He, if you knew him, you would understand, but I was just like, Okay, whatever guy. Oh, I should say that too. When he broke my water, he told me that there was a light meconium in it. And when I me and my doula both looked at it and mind you, I'm not trained, but there there was no meconium in that water. I made every single nurse look at it and my doula and brought my doctor back in, and I said, there is not light meconium in this water. I was like, that's whatever crud comes out before the water breaks because I had, ha- had like, that bloody show, and then it ended up being brown a little bit later. Mm. So I was like, that's what that is. It's not meconium. <laughs> and I was, everybody was, all the nurses were cracking up at me because I was just trying to prove my doctor wrong. And all these like, they're like, she's in labor and she's trying to prove you wrong. Like, you're wrong. So that's 130, right? And then at 215, my body starts doing this crazy thing. My husband said it literally would drop like four inches for every contraction. And my whole body would just push down. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't trying to push. I was just trying to breathe through each contraction. And my doula was like, just breathe over it, breathe over it. And I was like, I can't. I, she was like, you have to stop pushing. And I was like, I can't stop pushing. My body is doing this. It is not me. And so they have – the nurse comes back in to check me. Um, so this is 45 minutes later. And she's like, okay, <laughs> you're at a nine and a half. You have a tiny cervical lip. So that's like a alert for me, right, because my previous pregnancy, I had that lip. And um, she's like, but I need you to stop pushing. And she's watching me have these contractions and watching my body just push. And I'm like, this is not me. This is my body. Like, I can't control it. I can't stop. So she's like, well, do you want me to call a doctor? And I said, uh, yeah. So he had gone back over to his office, which is right across the street. And he, he came back, and it's like 2.30. And he checks me, and he says, yep, you have a cervical lip, but actually it's pretty stretchy. Well, okay, with this contraction, I want you to try to push. And I was like, what?
1: Wait a second. <laughs> <was> like, yes.
3: <laughs> Push. And I was like, uh, uh, okay. okay. So I <laughs> and she went down to a plus one. And she went oh, right wow. past the cervical lip. I mean, he was like, okay, well, I think you're going to have this baby vaginally. And I was like, okay, good, great. What do we do now? <laughs> and so he's, like, telling everybody to get ready. And then her heart rate dropped to 75 and it didn't recover for about two to three minutes. And he was like, okay, I'm going to get the four steps. He was like, I think we got to get this baby out right now, Jessica. And they call in the P team. And, and he was like, we got to get this baby out. And I was like, well, what can I do? What can I do? And he was like, push harder. And I was like, okay. So was, I got really lucky with my pushing contractions. They were on top of each other. And I know that doesn't seem like it's lucky, but – it was because I never really uh, had to take a break, so I could do things very fast. So it was like I would push, and then I would take a breath, a breath, and then I'd push again. And they ended up putting oxygen on me, and he got the for- – well, he said, okay, you don't have the epidural. I'm not going to do the forceps because that's going to hurt really bad. Mm-hmm. He was like, so I'm going to do the vacuum. And he gave me the lidocaine. He, I don't know if you guys know that, but he – they put lidocaine there
1: mm-hmm.
3: when they're gonna try and get help them the mm-hmm. yeah so he put the lidocaine there and I'm pushing and I'm pushing with each contraction and he walked away for a couple just a couple minutes to get all his stuff on and when he came back her heart rate went back up to like the 120s which is where it had been and she was at a plus three
1: <sighs>
3: and he was like you did work in the five seconds I was gone yeah. he was like okay I don't think we need the vacuum anymore and I was just so relieved. So I just kept pushing, and she was born at 303. So I pushed for about 30 minutes, if even really. And she was born, and she had a pretty short cord. So they think it just got a little pinched. But I was really happy about that lidocaine because I tore just a little bit. But yeah, I mean, it was amazing. I just, they, it was so funny because they were like, Do you want a mirror? And I was like, No. And they were like, my, my doctor was like, okay, Jessica, it's down, your baby's right here, do you want to feel her head, and I was like, no, and it's because I was so focused on pushing her out, that I couldn't, like, any disruption to that focus, I felt like was going to not give me my V-back, even though she's literally crowning, um, but yeah, so my husband watched the whole thing, and he's, like, super squeamish, and he was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen, and I'm crying, and the is crying, and I'm like, I did it, and she's like, you did it, and I don't know, it's just the most amazing thing, all the nurses in the room were, like, clapping, and it was just so cool, and, like, the P team he had brought in, he told them, he was like, oh, we don't need you guys, you can leave if you want, It's you know, it might be a little while before the baby's born, and they were like, oh, no, we're going to stick around and see this, and my doula said later, it's because, like, they had told her they'd only seen so many natural births before, so they were really, like, intrigued by it. But yeah, so I don't know. That's my really long story about it, but I um, love it. Post it's awesome. Yeah, post pregnancy's <laughs> been great. I mean, like breastfeeding has been super successful night and day. I, w- I was like back to normal in seven days. I mean, it's crazy. That I felt like awesome. It.
1: <laughs> I know, right?
3: <laughs> like I wasn't all drugged up and whatever. It just it felt amazing. I don't know. It was great.
0: Oh, I love it. Sometimes it's hard, Um, especially after, like, you know, in a V-back. Because, like, with cesarean, like, you're kind of, I mean, not all the time, but you're often reminded, oh, yeah, I had a major surgery. I need to cool it down. But Mm -hmm. after sometimes, after a vaginal birth, especially if there's not, like, you know, intense tearing or anything like that, like, you Mm -hmm. bounce back so fast. And you're like, okay, hold on. Like, I need to take it slower. But you just forget. You forget Mm -hmm. until your body's, like. Hold, pump the brakes. <laughs> yep. Hold on. So yeah, it's so crazy because
3: with my C-section, I had bled for about six weeks after. And you would think that with a C-section, because they clean you all less. out, yeah, you wouldn't. But and this one, I stopped bleeding at three weeks postpartum.
0: That's awesome. So
3: I don't know. It's just a night and day difference, and I'm just so thankful and so so blessed that that happened to me. I got really lucky. I was my jewel's last birth. She ended up taking like a nine-to-five job, and even my doctor said the birth world is a lesser place with with her gone, and it's just, he loved her, and he had told us the next day that he had a duel in the other room with another birth, and she was just not... Not he her. said she was terrible,
0: Aww. <laughs> told us.
3: but he said because she was combative and like mm. trying to give medical advice when she shouldn't have been, and
0: yeah, that's outside of the scope of a doula,
3: yep, mm. yeah, so he was just so thankful for my doula and and our our process, and
0: yeah. I just
3: i mean, for all the things it's after he. After she was born, he came in a little bit later and he said, You know, Jessica, I didn't think this was going to happen, but I'm so glad you proved me wrong again. And I was just like, Okay, I'm not even going to focus on what you said about not thinking this is going to happen. I know.
0: (laughs) You're like, You're welcome. (laughs) I know.
3: I can't wait for my six week appointment so I can be like, Haha, in
0: your face. (laughs) Yep, yep. After my V back, I remember like, so clearly <laughs> I wasn't super nice, but I pretty much said screw you to the doctor, <laughs> to uh, you know, and everyone looked at me in the room and was like laughing and my husband's like, hey, and I was like, no. Nope. Yep. Nope. Screw you. <laughs> Told me I would never be able to do this, and I just did it. <laughs> uh-huh. Boom. Well, so we want to talk a little bit about some prodromal labor. You definitely had some, and man, it is hard to stay patient and wait it out because you're exhausted. And, um, you know, a lot of the times prodromal labor happens in the middle of the night. And so women, you know, have labor signs all night long, and then the sun rises You know, sunrise comes and all of a sudden that's gone. So it's super, Mm -hmm. super frustrating. So today on our blog, we talk about, we kind of break it down a little bit into what is prodromal labor? Um, Like you said in uh, your story, you know, it it wasn't Braxton Hicks. So Braxton Hicks is where the uterine wall um, contracts and it just kind of tightens up. And so you might just feel kind of a tightening versus like a, a pain or, you know, a cramp. And then prodromal labor, or people sometimes call it false labor, that is likely kind of the middle of Braxton Hicks and labor. It's actually something that can really make a lot of women think they are in labor, as you know, but some signs kind of knowing like the differences, even though they may be consistent and strong, they don't usually progress in intensity or continue to get closer. I mean, and they really can be like 5, 10, 15 minutes apart, like consistently for hours and hours and hours, but then they're just not really ever changing. And then they'll kind of pedal off. When active labor, those contractions get consistent and progress with intensity, they get stronger Closer together and and much longer, you know, around a minute, and then contractions also they don't uh, like in prodromal labor they don't usually cause a lot of cervical change which you you experienced but then sometimes sometimes you know your body's still working and so your cervix is is dilating but it's usually not due to like all the work that you're doing with prodromal labor, two weeks of that. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously contractions with full-blown labor, they continue to pick up and cause cervical change, dilation and effacement, and also bring babies down. So that's those are some kind of tips uh, or to know kind of like the difference. And then... Things to do if you are having prodromal labor. A lot of the times, prodromal labor just means the baby's not quite ready um, in an, an ideal spot. So there may be some things like chiropractor or, you know, meeting with your provider to get the baby in a better position, taking a bath and relaxing. Don't forget to add Epsom salt. It's very soothing. Drinking water and eating some food, changing positions. And have you ever heard of cramp bark? Have you ever heard no, of it? No, I haven't. So no. this is something that um, a lot of like home birth midwives, um, birth center midwives. I don't know how many hospital midwives or OBs necessarily suggest it, but I know it's really common in the home birth world. And it's it's cramp bark. And do you drink it, Julie? You took it with yours, it's right? It's a tincture. It's a tincture. That's and it thought.
1: tastes awful, you but it it's magic. Tongue. Put yeah. Oh yeah. It's awful. Yeah. It's so, awful, but it works. So like have a chaser, yeah. like Pepsi. That's like my yeah, choice. Yeah. So you put it under your
0: tongue and <laughs> then have like a little chaser or something. So a lot of women who have serious like endometriosis and really bad period cramps will use this during menstruation. So a lot of women use it during prodromal labor. So you can take it and it kind of just eases it up a little bit. So those are kind of some tips and we've got the blog here. So um, check out the blog today at thevbacklink.com blog to learn more about the lovely prodramal labor awesome well thank you so much for sharing your story we love it we love it we love it and we know that so many others will as well
3: yeah I just really hope that you know people who listen to this like know that it's possible because I think that's something that I struggled with for a long time like if my body could even do it I mean mm-hmm. I knew I could dilate but could I push I mean it's just you know but your, your body can do it, <laughs> it can. so I just hope people know that
2: would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the VBAClink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAClink.